Do you know what it means to be intimate? Can you be intimate, or are you protecting your emotional and spiritual safety? Welcome to episode 141 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Solange. She used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Solange, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that, though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During the show, we share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me are co-hosts Grace and Tom. Welcome. Hi. Hello. So a couple of nights ago, I was one of four speakers at an open meeting panel titled The Effects of Alcoholism and Addiction on Intimacy and Sexual Relationships. One of the speakers started out by saying, you know, I, I don't really know what intimacy is. So I looked it up, and here's, here's what she shared with us. Intimacy requires dialogue transparency, vulnerability, and reciprocity. It is sustained through well-developed emotional and interpersonal awareness. It comes from a center of self-knowledge and self-differentiation, and it evolves through reciprocal self-disclosure and candor. What does that definition say to you, Grace? Wow, that says a lot. (laughs) A lot of stuff that I don't have yet, but that I'm working towards. (laughs) How about you, Tom? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a pretty foreign concept to me. Um, I thought maybe I had some levels of intimacy in my life, um, and maybe I have s- some, but that, that it's all pretty foreign to me. I got to say that definition has some scary words in it. <laughs> that vulnerability, uh, well developed emotional and interpersonal awareness. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Self knowledge is always scary for me, at least. I don't know about you. I wanted to start by playing. Uh, my share from that panel, when uh, Annie texted me a few months ago and said, hey, we're going to do this panel and we'd like you to be on it. And I got to say, this is not my favorite topic to talk about, to think about, to, you know, in front of a room full of strangers. So um, <laughs> I said, you know, I'm going to have to think about that, which is something that Alanon has taught me to do, that. I can pause and I can consider what is the right answer for me. And what I realized was this is something I need to talk about. It's not something I'm comfortable talking about. I'm going to say some things tonight that I probably have not said in in any of these rooms or maybe even to another person. Um, But I need to do it because if my experience touches one person in this room tonight. That's what I asked God for, to help me touch one person in this room tonight. Then I've done what I need to do. We like to start with what it was like. And what it was like when I was growing up was that my family was not, we were close. We had fun together. We were only mildly dysfunctional. Uh, My parents loved me mostly. But we did not talk about feelings. We were not intimate. We did not, my parents did not model intimacy. I didn't know how to do it. 
I didn't know how to be open with another person and share what was really in me with another person. It was all surface. So that's, that's where I came from. Um, I'll jump forward a few years and then jump back. When I met the person who is now my wife, she grew up in the South and, and she always accused me of being a cold Yankee. Okay, I can wear that. I can own that now. Back in the day, I would have said, oh, no, no, it's just, you know, whatever. Um, not me, but now, now I can own that. And that's another gift that I really have gotten from uh, working a program of recovery is to know who I am, where I am, where I maybe want to go, but where I'm coming from. So intimacy early in my life, uh, I can remember a, a few incidents like riding a Greyhound bus in the middle of the night with somebody sitting next to me that I've never seen before and I'm never going to see again, I felt like I'd talk about anything because there's no danger that it's going to come back to me. And that was one of the things that I realized now that I was afraid of, that if I opened up to you, you would somehow bring that back to me in some judgmental or shaming way. And I didn't want that. But, you know, this person on the bus, they're going to get off in a couple of hours and we're going to go in separate directions. We're never going to meet again. And that was safe, which is kind of an interesting thing. And I started also to confuse, and this is probably normal for adolescent or, you know, 20-something people. I started to confuse intimacy with sex. Sex meant intimacy, intimacy, intimacy meant sex. I'm going to say that word a bunch of times tonight, and I know I'm going to mangle it. But what's interesting is that all through college and grad school, there were a small number of women with whom I had very close platonic relationships. Um, And I started learning how to share with these people. I never was able to do that with men. And I think that gets back to this fear of being judged, this fear of being seen as different, being not good enough, Um, which I hear from a lot of people in the rooms around the tables um, that is one of the things that we seem to come in with. And maybe everybody's got it, okay? I don't know, but I know I've got it. I'm not good enough. I know that. Deep down in my heart, I know that. Um, and that makes it hard for me to open up. I eventually married the person who became, as we sometimes say in the l program, my qualifier, the uh, primary alcoholic whose behavior eventually brought me to my knees and brought me into these rooms. As I recall, early in that relationship, we talked about everything. And when I say everything, I don't mean everything. Okay? (laughs) There were still parts of me that I hid. There were still things that I wanted out of life that I couldn't say to her. Um, There were feelings I had that I couldn't express. But I felt connected. Uh, And we actually did some work on that. We went, I remember we went to a marriage encounter weekend once, and that was like really powerful thing, you know, it brought us closer together. But there were still parts of me that were hidden that I I was not talking about, even in that, even in that environment that where supposedly was safe to do that. And then along came alcohol. You know, we always drank and seemed normal. People drink, you know, people get drunk occasionally. And about 10 years into our marriage, that started to change. The way in which she drank started to change. And she started to change. 
And I found myself closing off. I found myself not feeling safe confiding, not feeling safe opening up because of the way that she would. This is what I think in my head now, looking back, the way that she would react if I would share something and in her altered state of consciousness, it became all about her and she would attack me for it. So I stopped saying stuff. I stopped being close. I started pulling away. I started building a wall for my own emotional safety. That wall, in fact, is something that I'm still tearing down. She's been sober over 10 years, and I'm still taking down the wall that I built because it's hard for me. It's hard for me to open up. And when I got hurt, I closed it down. I just totally closed it down. Um, I want to talk a little bit. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about sex. This is something that I've had a few conversations with people over the years, and we found that, oh, wow, yes, this was true for for us. Um, a friend of mine, I think, expressed it in a way that I words I wouldn't have put to it, but when when she said this thing, I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it felt like. She says, I felt like I was somebody he picked up in a bar. And for me, during those years, sex became something that I did because I was supposed to that I might have enjoyed physically, but not emotionally. I was not making love. I was having sex and I was having sex because she said she wanted it. That was weird. And, and that was something, you know, this is something that's even hard now for me to talk about because that's not as a guy, that's not the way I'm supposed to be. Right. <laughs> I'm supposed to want it all the time under any conditions. And I didn't. <laughs> And that's hard to say, but I've talked to other people who felt the same way. And, you know, it's something that happens. And this is the effect that alcohol had on our relationship. This is one of the effects that it's not the biggest effect that it had on our relationship, but it, it was there. You know, there was no real connection. It was just lustful desire. And that was it. As far as I knew, I don't know what was happening on her side. Um, I, you know, I can't take her take her inventory, as we say. I lost the ability to be emotionally and spiritually intimate with her. And the wall that I built, I talked about the wall. The wall that I built stayed up, and when she got sober, I kept that wall up because it was safer. I never knew. I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, she she went through a period of relapse, and so it took a while for me to feel emotionally confident that this was actually going to last that we weren't going to go back to the way things were or worse because, you know, what I've seen is every time there was a relapse, it kind of went back to where it was and went downhill from there. It never got better. Um, and it's immediately back. And I didn't want that. But what happened then, I did not lose my need to connect with another person. I did not lose my need for intimacy. And when I started to wake up in this program, when I started to come out of the fog, of isolation and shame and closing down that I had been in, I found people that I could open up to. I found people that would respond to me. And, and um, a few years ago, I, there was somebody in my life who 
really connected with me, who was there, who was listening to me, who with whom I could share whatever, that I could talk about everything. And I mean just about everything. And eventually it became just about everything. Because I wasn't getting that in my marriage, I sought it out in this other person. And that turned out to be, as you might guess, not a healthy relationship for me. Or probably for the other person. I can't speak for them. And uh, I became unhealthily attached because I was getting this connection, this intimacy that was not present in my marriage. And when when that friendship ended abruptly... I realized what I had done to myself. That I had closed myself off from the person that I had been intimate with in the past and whom I could be intimate with and with whom I wanted to be intimate, which is to say my wife. I had closed myself off from her and I had found that in somebody else and I had done that to myself. That, in fact, when I started to look at it, the things that I wanted from a relationship were the things that I said no to when my wife said, let's do this thing. You know, let's go for a walk. Let's watch it. Simple stuff that would make a connection. I said no. I cut myself off. I closed it down. And it took the pain of a broken, unhealthy relationship that luckily never went anywhere physical. But, you know, if there was emotional infidelity in the relationship, it was there um, for me. And I did that to myself. And so now my work is to open those channels back up. And this is, again, this is the tools that the program of recovery gives to me is that it allows me to look at myself. We have these steps. We have these steps. And for me, the first step was admitting that I was powerless over my shutting down my connection with the woman I married, with the woman that I love, with the woman that I want to spend the rest of my life with. I was powerless over what I had done there but that there was help available to me and I could ask for it. That's steps two and three. Step four is I have to look at myself. I have to see what I did and I have to see what I want. Because if I, when I didn't know that this is what I wanted, this is what the things I was saying no to. I have to talk about it. I have to bring it out. I have to admit it to myself, to my higher power, and to another human being or a whole room full. Oh, my God. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> I'm working the steps, okay? Um, Step six for me, becoming ready to have this changed, is owning who I am, owning how I am, and understanding that it is not who I want to be. In step seven, I ask for help. I ask for help from the program. I ask for help from my friends. I ask for help from God, whatever God may be. Some days there's a God for me and some days there's not. That's where I am right now. I read books. I listen to podcasts. I go to talks. Um, and, and I start to get help. I start to see different ways of, of living. Um, and I start to put one foot in front of the other. I start to, 
you know, sit on the couch with my wife in the evening instead of her going upstairs and me going to, you know, my corner and, and us doing separate things, we start to do things together. When she says, I want to go for a walk, I say, yes. Step nine, eight and nine are about making amends. And for me, this is a living process. This is, and, and it was about a few years ago on our 30th wedding anniversary, I said to her, you know, I have built this wall between us. And I am trying to take it down. And for this, I am, for, for, for this, for holding this wall up for so long, I am, I am immensely sorry. And I just want you to know I'm working on it. Um, you know, and that was the beginning of making amends for that. Um, and then I just keep working it. Step 10, keep looking at how I am, keep looking at what I'm doing. Um, you know, when I screw up, admit it. Last night, we have a couple of shows we watch. She came home late from work. I was tired. We watched one. I said, I want to go to bed now. She And she gave me this, like, stricken look. We're not going to watch our other show. And I said, no, I need to go to bed. And I went upstairs, and I got my pajamas on, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to sit up here for half an hour, 45 minutes, and play, you know, Candy Crush or something on my phone. Okay? This is old behavior. This is my old behavior. I need to go back downstairs, and we will watch our NCIS episode together. <laughs> and she said to me this morning, she said, you know, I was really surprised when you did that. Okay, this is new behavior. This is me trying to be the person I want to be. And I need to take that inventory in the moment and say, this is not who I want to be. I want to do it differently. Um, I continue to need help from my higher power. I continue to need help from my friends and from the program. And I'm here taking it to you in, in step 12, carrying the message to other people. Um, and I think I had a closing statement here, and I have no idea what it was. Um, let me see if I can find it, because my phone went to sleep again. No, it's not there. I just want to say that this program is giving me back my marriage. I've been in Al-Anon almost 14 years, and it's taken me that long to figure out this is the work that I need to do today to continue to have the life that I wanted to have and that I want to have. Thank you for being here. We were all there. I was up front and you two were sitting in the chairs. Uh, and how would you describe the experience of uh, listening to participating. Uh, Grace? Well, for me, it was, I was trying to relax a little bit because I was one of the organizers of the event. I, I tend to be stressed out easily. So I was, I was a person who introduced the whole thing um, in the beginning, you know, welcome everyone and blah, blah, blah. So I was just trying to, you know, calm it down, realizing that everything that we'd worked for for months on this committee had come together and it was done. Now I just sit and enjoy and listen. And so that was kind of a struggle for me. Would you say letting go of the outcome? <laughs> yeah. 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 I was, you know, worried about certain things here and there. You're like, oh, the mic is cutting out and, um, you know, it's getting too hot in here. So it was a little, those things were a little distracting for me because I tend to be distracted easily anyway. But um, one, what would one word or phrase? Yeah. Pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. The whole thing, you know, it was fun. 
it was it was good. It was a good thing. But how about you, Tom? You have a, a short a short word or phrase you would use to describe that experience. It was uh it was exciting and touching. And uh, well, for me, the first word that comes to mind is scary, <laughs> uh, but also moving and. Especially for me, the feedback that I got afterwards, as I said at the beginning of my talk, you know, if I reached one person in the room, then that was, that was why I was there. And a number of people came up, but one person came up and said, with maybe some tears in their eyes, I think you said what my spouse has been trying to tell me and can't. Cool. And that one person made the scary opening up, being vulnerable in front of, what would you say, 100 people? We caught it about 130. 130 people. Well, I'm glad I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) I could see there were a lot. But, you know, there's some benefit. I know when we were setting up, you said, does, like, turning the lights on where you're sitting and turning them uh, Mm -hmm. down over the the people, uh, the audience, I guess I'll use that word. Uh, make you feel in the spotlight. And actually, I think it was helpful in terms of making all those people sort of fade a little bit uh, from consciousness. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know when I was talking, I kept looking at people. Yeah, so moving. Um, I don't know. What what did you, Tom, what did you expect before you came? Well, part of my program has taught me to try to let go of a lot of expectations. But um, I was... uh, I participated, or I guess I attended would be the right word, uh, the, a similar panel, um, or a similar discussion at the, the AA, uh, international convention last, uh, August, I believe. So, um, I, I thought maybe it was going to be reminiscent of that or, you know, something similar to that. And, and that was, uh, that was really touching and that touched a lot of people. And that kind of was the inspiration as I understand it to, to that, to the, to this, uh, this panel. So as I kind of had described before, I, I was expecting to be excited and, uh, that's exactly what I felt. And, uh, I was really, um, once I walked in, I saw that the number of people, it was even, it kind of put my my heart um, in the right, or put my head in the right state of you know mm-hmm. of consciousness, ready to be ready ready to learn something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about you, Grace? What did I expect before? Um, I expected crying. I expected it to be so moving. I expected uh, big things. I guess um, high expectations because I also had attended the same panel as Tom in Atlanta. Um, And actually one of our um, other committee members attended that as well by complete coincidence. I was expecting it to be pretty, uh, leave a pretty big impact. And do you feel that your expectations were met or maybe exceeded or not? Uh, Well, if there were any, (laughs) if there was any crying, I I don't think I saw it. (laughs) So nobody in front of the room cried anyway. I think that uh maybe I was a little bit let down, but thinking about that, it makes a lot of sense that this huge international convention that uh there were a lot more emotions because everybody traveled there and spent money and planned and looked forward and it's very um 
the whole, whole weekend is just filled with with heightened emotions. So, you know, this was just a Friday night and and our hometown, and you know, it was just different. yeah, different. different different expectations probably. Do you feel that that your expectations were met? It sounded like you had pretty high expectations. <laughs> Um, yeah, since there was no crying, I guess my expectations weren't exactly met. But I think maybe my expectations were a little too high, and uh, I just need to be a little bit more um, realistic. Did you expect that many people? I was guessing maybe 200. So your expectations were high. Okay. <laughs> 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 it seemed like a lot of people to me. Okay, I'm just saying. Well, a lot of people told me they were coming and they didn't come. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend who said he was going to try to come, but he was not able to rearrange his life to be able to. And I saw him Saturday morning and he's like, oh, man, I wish I could have come. I said, well, we may be publishing uh, a tape. Not really tape, but mm-hmm. the audio. Um and, and you'll be able to hear it. Tom, how about you? How do you feel that your expectations were met or not? Uh, they were definitely met. And uh, probably uh, I set the bar real low, so they were probably exceeded. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what I like to do. But um, I'm, a, I'm a low bar setter. Um, yeah, I, I w- they, were def- they were exceeded for sure. And for me, I don't know. what What did I expect? I mean... It's it's the first time that I've given a talk like that in front of an audience like that. Um, so there was some trepidation. On the other hand, uh, in in my earlier life, I was a college professor, and so I'm sort of used to getting up and talking in front of people, just not on such personal topics. Pretty and personal. It was pretty personal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, as As I said to somebody afterwards, I said, you know, I used to say I could talk for 50 minutes on any topic, but try to get me to talk for less, that's a problem. Um, I did run over a little, and I guess I had an expectation. I had an expectation that I didn't have enough to say. Hmm. Um, but I actually, if we, one of one of the panelists uh, had to had to drop out at the last minute because of an injury, and so we had four instead of five, and so we sort of had, I don't know, 15 minutes instead of 10 minutes or something to speak. I don't know exactly. And, and I ran over that. So when I was planning for 10 minutes and I ended up with like 17 minutes or something, obviously that expectation was um, exceeded, maybe not in a good way. But I know I'm a wordy bastard. So there we go. But you're not the only one. I think pretty much everybody went everybody, over. Everybody went. I think it averaged about 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, 10 minutes is short. 10 really. minutes is... You think about it when you're trying to share this whole... This whole story in this one area of your life, you know, how it was, yeah. what happened and yeah. how it is now. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I guess I expected was to hear a diversity of experience from the panelists and to hear parts of my same story from a different perspective. And both of those expectations were were well met. and. One of the panelists talked about his current relationship where both partners are in recovery and how that has really helped them to establish intimacy in that relationship. And, and as I was listening, I was thinking, 
that's where I could be if I work at it. Um, you know, and it gave me, it gave me a goal. It, you know what they say, right? If you hear somebody has something you want, then mm-hmm. you, sh- you need to do what they did. I mean, that's what the program tells us, right? I, I, you have what I want. So what did you do to get there? Mm-hmm. And, and I can try that, you know, whether it's working the steps or whatever. So, uh, that was that was very helpful to me, and also helpful really to me was um, hearing another panelist talk about the gap between friendship intimacy and loving relationship intimacy, and how scary that gap was. I feel like, to some extent, that's where I am. I'm I'm working into that gap, and it's scary, and and it was really helpful for me to hear that I'm not alone in that. And that, you know, that's one of the things that we do in these rooms is, is we find that we're not alone. There were four different speakers. They were different. How did that maybe enhance the experience for you? I'm going to start with you, Tom. It ex- uh, enhanced the experience in that when, when I hear shares, sometimes I can't always relate. Mm-hmm. But in those shares that I can't relate, I hear different messages. I hear messages of hope and inspiration. And um, you kind of alluded to some of those things. Um, one of the panelists did speak of uh, how positive his relationship was and, uh, and, and, and kind of explained the, the groundwork and what had already been done going into it. And that was, that was really inspirational. And it didn't really matter whether that groundwork had been laid down out for me, but as you, as you kind of spoke um, to, it, it, it gave me a, a hope, which is what kind of, to me, is kind of what the, the program is all about, is, is a message of hope. So in, in the shares that I couldn't relate specifically, I, I heard the message of hope, and, and, and in that message of hope is just pure inspiration. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and all sorts of, the, the, everybody's path of recovery is different. And just hearing those differences is, is another message of hope that four people through the same 12 steps achieved are, are in the process of, of achieving different goals and, and different levels and, and, and shared that, that in, they, they got intimate with us. And, um, and so that diversity between the, 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 the different uh, panelists really, really was was great and, and enhanced it for me. It was not confusing in any way. How about you, Grace? Having four different speakers enhanced it for me, for sure. It was interesting to see the different approaches that people took. When you say, you know, talk about intimacy and sexual relationships and the, and the impact of alcoholism and addiction on them. There are so many places you could go with that. So we, we saw a lot of different areas that people spoke about. So it definitely enhanced it. I was thinking about, as you said, one of you said, um, about them being intimate, the panelists being intimate with the audience. Um, and so I went back to this definition of intimacy. And I think that what I heard, I'm not going to speak to myself, but I heard uh, definitely transparency and vulnerability in in several of the shares, maybe all of them. Um, I heard well-developed emotional awareness and self-knowledge uh, in, in, I think, what everybody said. 
Uh, I think it helped that all of the panelists had uh, a fair amount of time in the program. I don't, I think, I think one of the panelists said something like 30 years. Is that, Mm -hmm. um, that we have all through the process of working the 12 steps come to this, this self understanding, uh, awareness of who we are, of how we act and react. And I can speak for myself that I'm still learning, but if I had been asked to give this talk 10 years ago, it would have been a very, very different talk. Um, it would have been all about the pain and nothing about the recovery because there wasn't any then. And there wasn't, I don't think I, I mean, part of the self-knowledge that I talked about came in the last couple of years uh, of understanding how I had damaged my own ability to be intimate with my wife and how I was keeping myself from being able to do that. Uh, That came through very recent experience, but it came also through having the tools of the 12 steps to then look at that experience and say, what am I supposed to learn from this? Uh, And I think, I think everybody showed that uh, in different ways in, in their shares. So Grace, you, you were part of the group that brought this, this panel to reality. Uh, can you t- share a little bit of that experience, how it, how it came about and, and what, what happened? Because one of the reasons I'm asking this question is because I know that other people in other cities might like to do this. And mm-hmm. so sharing that experience of, of how it came to be, uh, I think could be helpful. Yeah. So the idea came about maybe six months ago. At a district meeting, um, one of the Al-Anon members there had attended the AA International Convention in Atlanta. And that's a convention um, that uh, has official Al-Anon participation, too. So um, they have Al-Anon panels, just like they have AA panels. And one of the panel topics was sexual intimacy and the alcoholic relationship. And there were actually about six different sessions of that, whereas most panel topics that you could go to were offered once or twice. That gives you a little bit of an idea, you know, that the the people that were planning this international convention of, you know, Al-Anon people, that that was something that they wanted to focus on. And so when she proposed that at this district meeting, she said, you know, I just have this idea because I went to this this convention, it was it was great. People were really touched. She looked into that and she found out that it's actually one of the priorities, I guess, for lack of an official word, <laughs> of of I believe the WSO. I'm not really um, up on all the official workings and, and titles, but I know it's it's something that they're trying to get members to share on so they can write a new book. Because I think the last book they wrote was um, maybe like 20 years ago, and uh, it's not really offered for sale anymore. And the one before that was the one that we we see at meetings sometimes called The Dilemma of the Alcoholic Marriage, and that was from Mm -hmm. the 60s or 70s. So they're trying to update this and bring it as a topic for Al-Anon to work on. She said, you know, I'd like to do something and, and she's, she thought maybe we could do an open talk or something. And the committee just said, yeah, go do whatever you want to do. Explore the idea. You know, who wants to help her? And I was sitting next to her and I said, that's funny. I was also at that panel. 
that was really cool. And yeah, I'll help you explore the idea. So we pretty pretty quickly came up with an idea at our first meeting to to come up with to, to have a an open talk. And there were about four other people that were on the panel with us. I mean, on the committee. And we met a few times, did a lot of emails, and this one particular person, the person who originally proposed it, she she was really great and very organized and really was the momentum behind everything. As I recall from hearing about the the panel, it was very popular. Yeah, it was packed. And, standing room only. And and I think I heard that in fact at least a couple of times they had to shut the door because they couldn't let any more people in the room. Yeah, probably. We weren't there. We we were there um much later because it was exhausting trying to get over there. It was like very complicated. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Um, <laughs> Huge scale event. <laughs> so what what would you say to somebody who wants to maybe try to do this themselves? Go for it. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> people people have already given us great feedback. It's only been a few days and we've heard people share at meetings that it was really helpful and eye-opening and wonderful. And had a good, a big impact on them. I would say that this is a topic that you don't hear too many people talking about. And when we, we did the, when we decided on the exact title, we uh, probably downplayed the, uh, intensity of it, I guess. We called it the, the impact of alcoholism and addiction on intimacy and sexual relationships. But uh, the the one at the convention was um, sexual intimacy. <laughs> so. so speaking as somebody who was invited <laughs> to be on the panel, um, the fact that it was intimacy and sexual rela- relationships made it a lot easier for me to say yes. Yeah. If if you're thinking about about doing this thing, I would suggest keeping keeping it a little broader <laughs> than just sexual relationships, especially for the first time. Yeah. Um, I, can, I agree. I can see getting somebody to speak at the international convention maybe a little easier than getting somebody to speak locally. I don't know. Um, I also wanted to note that, and I will put a link to this in in the show notes at therecoveryshow.com, that the Al-Anon World Service Office is working on creating this new piece of literature, this new book or booklet or whatever, and they're asking for shares uh, they're asking for people who are who are in Al-Anon and have some experience to share. Um, and there's a uh, a sheet that they provide with guidelines for sharing. And the ones that I saw printed out last night even had like lines on the back where you could just write on it if you wanted to. I don't know if that's part of the the normal sheet or not. Yeah, I think Maybe. I saw that sheet online somewhere. Anyway, I'll I'll find that and uh, and link that in the in the show notes. Um, I guess I can't link directly into the Al-Anon membership site because you have to, to log in there, which is very easy. You put in the name of your group followed by AFG as the password. So now you know. If you're if you're a member and you go to an Al-Anon group, you can put it in. Um, I don't think it says, like, is this a real group? It just kind of helps to keep it keep it a little bit like not anybody just can wander in. You have to know a little bit of something to get in, but not much. Do you know... If there were people at that 
um, panel who had never been to Al-Anon before? I wish I knew. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> um, the only thing I know about that is that I talked to somebody who is a somebody who works in administration or a counselor or something. I'm not really sure who works at a recovery center here. And that person said that um, they're also in AA and that, that they were really trying to push as an organization at that recovery place, that treatment center. They were really trying to push it on people who were in AA and um, were a little shy to go to an Al-Anon meeting. Mm-hmm. But curious about Al-Anon in general. And then when the night came, we saw um, a lot of faces we didn't know who looked maybe like they had all come together from AA. By the way, if you're listening and you're hearing this this loud breathing in the background, that's my dog who's decided he needs to, to stand up and pant at us for some reason. I don't know why. I have this question here. I'm, I think this question is aimed at me. What would you say to someone considering being a panelist? <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I would say that for me, it it was a positive experience, despite being kind of scary about you know opening up and being vulnerable. Good. The feedback that I got from people afterwards, and the focus that I could sort of feel when I was standing up there talking that. People didn't seem to be fidgeting, didn't seem to be, you know, mm-hmm. chatting with their, their friends. Yeah. Um, it was most obvious to me when I was actually standing at the podium and, and speaking, but I think it was true throughout that people were really paying attention. That this was, this was something that was valuable to them that they wanted to hear. And, and so if you're, if, if you're asked and you're afraid that, you're not going to have something to say that somebody's going to want to hear. I would say, I think you will. Uh, no matter what your experience is, if you've got some, there's somebody out there who has your experience, is is where you were, and is wondering how they're going to get out of it, or how they're you know where things are going to go, uh, and is is waiting to hear your experience because that's all we do. All we can do is share our experience. If you're asked, unless you're like, you know, got this pathological thing about public speaking, which some of us do, um, I'd say yes. I would say yes again. Although you probably want to hear somebody else if you do it mm-hmm. again, you know, cause you heard my story. Any, any, any final words about the experience of, of putting it on or attending um, or being on the panel. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Tom. Yeah, I was just actually thinking quite a bit about involvement in general. And, you know, I was thinking a lot about, um, I think you may have even uh, mentioned it in your share, but um, when you get involved, it's 12th step work. And to keep it, you have to give it is something that I've heard a lot. So now I've been attended two similar organized one was a panel one was a little bit different um but dealing with the same similar subjects of intimacy and sexual relations and how addiction has to you know the effects of it and the impact that you can feel and and you can see in that that attentiveness that you um referred to that's impacting your community in, in ways that you 
couldn't even fathom. And there's no reason to really think about how deep you could impact it, except that you know that you probably can reach one person. And if four people are on a panel or three people on a panel, that's three people that didn't weren't touched by it before. And, uh, you know, talk about um, something powerful that, that that's that's what I, my thoughts are on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grace, um, go 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 go. If you're thinking about attending it, I would say that um, hey, this is a topic that we don't normally talk about in Al-Anon meetings. You don't hear a lot of talk about sex. You don't hear about infidelity. You don't hear about incest. And I guess along with that, I want to say that, you know, another thing that, that I don't hear a lot about is, is suicide, which is totally not related. But um, I did hear it as a topic at one meeting. And I mean, people are just crying and coming out and sharing like so many different people had that experience with with suicide. And it was like, who knew? I didn't I didn't know that it was really I think, you know, Al-Anon is wonderful, but we're still human. I think we still are uncomfortable talking about certain subjects. That is so important. And, and thank you for bringing that out because I hadn't really thought about it that way. But if I think about how many times I have heard somebody in a meeting share openly about, I'm just going to say sexual dysfunction, whether that is um, intimacy problems in a relationship, whether that is uh, child sexual abuse or, anything in that spectrum, I could probably, infidelity, probably count those on the fingers of one hand. And the fact that I think I can do that indicates to me that those shares really stood out Mm -hmm. in my memory because we don't hear it so often. Um, so, yeah. But these are things that everybody has, probably. They are things that happen, that everybody has. Exactly. And we don't talk about them. We don't talk about, we do, probably we talk more about loved ones who died or killed themselves, and sometimes it's really hard to know as a result of their addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, then we talk about problems in sexuality and on a larger scale problems and intimacy is it it comes up a little more often, but those are, we keep those, we we hold those close and maybe we share them with our sponsor and our fifth step, but I don't hear them very often in meetings. I had the, the joy is not quite the word I want here um, Hmm. of being in um, a meeting where, and I've talked about this on the show once a month, we, we do, some questions out of the Alanon's Blueprint for Progress. And apparently that group's been working through that book since about 2007 or 2006, and we're getting near the end. And then we get to start over, um, you know, after, what, eight years or something, probably by then. But I was there for the several months that we worked through the, the sex chapter in that book. People were really open. It's sort of like, well, I'm here. I chose to sit at the table that's doing this book. If I don't want to talk about these, I can go somewhere else. Uh, Some people said, well, I sat down here. I'm going to do this because this is 
must be where my higher power wants me to be or I wouldn't have sat at this table. And people shared openly about some really painful stuff around that table. And But that's rare. Like you say, that's rare. And so doing something like this, doing it openly, maybe helps to, maybe can help to make these things that we hide, make these things that we don't talk about a little less shameful and a little more open. And I think that can, that can only help us all in the long run. So if you're, if you're asked to speak, consider it, really consider it. Don't, don't knee jerk say no. I didn't say no when I was asked. I also mm-hmm. didn't say yes. I did have to think about it. Mm-hmm. I had to pray on it and see whether this was something that I could do and and whether it was something that was important for me to do. And, and the answers to those were, turned out to be yes. But um, do consider it. And if you hear about one of these happening in your area or if you help put one of these on, go for it. Like Like Grace said, go for it. So we're going to take a short break and we'll continue with our lives in recovery where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. And I had both difficulty and fun uh, picking some music for this episode. If you go to Google and you Google songs about intimacy, you find a whole bunch of Christian music. (laughs) Interesting. And you find a whole bunch of songs about having sex. And there's very little in between. Okay. You know, there are sites like 20 best makeout songs. Okay. No, that wasn't what I was looking for here, guys. Uh, the first one came to me actually uh, in the shower this morning. Uh, I've heard this song before, but not this particular version. The song is Enjoy the Silence, and it's originally by Depeche Mode. And we used that, I think, in our communication episode. But the the version I heard this morning is an acoustic uh, version by Tori Amos, and it's stripped down and naked and very vulnerable. And I could just hear this pain of intimacy trying to break into the singer's isolation. Uh, in, in these lyrics in particular, words like violence break the silence, come crashing in into my little world, painful to me, pierce right through me. this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. Uh, Tom, you want to start? This week in re- recovery, I've had some, uh, I guess over the last, yeah, last week, I've had uh, some um, trying situations where I've had to um, work um, several of the steps. Um, I, I think uh, <laughs> I've heard a lot of people, I guess, the, I think the f- longer they've been in recovery, the, the more I, I've heard... Uh, I had to work all of the steps <laughs> and, uh, I've had to work, uh, several steps, you know, g- giving it up, um, you know, kind of a step three, remembering that I have a higher power and step two and, uh, you know, seeing what my part in it and, and talking about it in steps four and five. And <laughs> so I've, I've had some interesting things and, um, you know, though in the moment and, uh, a lot of the moments following these stressful situations, that's what they are. They're stressful. Um, they end up always being stories of hope for me because you, I can always look back and, and see what it would have been like 
before program and and what what would i have done without these steps like i I just mentioned you know i would have just jumped right into action typically and an emotional action nonetheless and and uh caused devastation uh, of various uh sorts you know to myself mainly and then uh you know and, and when you do hurt yourself a lot of times people are hurt around you and you usually amplify uh problems and that's that, that's usually um that's what that's what I've been learning a lot about, and, and particularly over the last week, uh, I've had some stressful situations more than average, um, I'd say. And uh, yeah, it's just it's really encouraging that I have these things, and it also um, shows me that I still have a lot of uh, a lot more work to to put into this to um, to make life less uh, stressful in in my uh, quest for serenity. All right, thank you, Grace. Obviously, we had the open talk, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was a big event. But we already sort of talked about that. What brought my attention was one of my home groups. It's a smaller group. I just, I'm really grateful for that group. They are a bunch of people who regularly come. Um, it's a step meeting. We do a different step every week. And this week we had a group conscience, and we don't have a regular group conscience, um, but we decided at this group conscience to have a regular one. I'm just so thankful for the commitment of those people, and I'm thankful for the the peaceful feeling I get when I go. When I, I mean, when I just walk into the door, I just feel like ah, oh, I feel you know at home here, and um, that's the meeting where I know that I can share any troubles that I'm going through and people will understand because I've been going consistently and they know my whole story basically. Mm-hmm. And and it, we don't, we don't get a lot of uh, interlopers, you know, we don't get a lot of people who come for, you know, a few meetings and then don't you know, come back. We have a lot of regular attendance. And uh, this week we had somebody come back who wasn't, or who who was in the, the fellowship a long time ago, but came back in a lot of pain. And um, this person was sharing s- some about some stuff about their their pain and basically anxiety attacks. And and I I had an opportunity to share my experience. You know, I was moved to to share my <laughs> my crazy moments, my anxiety attacks. Everybody laughed at this one story I had, and uh, they thanked me for sharing that. And, you know, in recovery, we, we often laugh when people share certain things because when it's not, it's not that we're laughing at them, we're laughing with them, we can understand, we have done that thing too. Mm-hmm. It's sort of an identifying thing. And, and that was just nice to be able to make everybody laugh. And, and, and I thought, well, oh, I have more of those, <laughs> you know. So I I, just, I didn't want this newcomer to feel so isolated, and that's why I shared my story, and it was a great meeting. So that's a little bit about my my recovery week. Thanks, Grace. Um, yeah, my week. Well, so again, the panel obviously was a big part of it. Uh, I had been over the last couple of months, maybe with increasing frequency, thinking about well, what am I going to say? Uh, and I think last Sunday I really started thinking about well, how do I how do I open? And realizing that opening with 
family of origin, not only as a, a traditional way to structure these talks, but that it was actually relevant to my experience or a lack of experience with intimacy. Um, and then sometime during the week, I, I sat down and I said, okay, I need to start writing this thing. I need to at least make notes. I don't write it out like all the words that I'm going to say, but I need notes to kind of remind me of what I want to say and what order I want to say it in and things that I want to include. Um, and it was funny, like I started out writing these little like two or three words, like uh, no intimacy in my family. And by the time I got to the end, I was writing whole paragraphs, uh, almost narrative. Uh, and then I tried to go back to the beginning and I still couldn't put narratives at the beginning. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it is what it is. It worked for me. Um, I, I had it on my phone during the talk. I probably should have printed it out because the phone kept going black and then I'd have to pause to wake it back up. Uh, probably would have been helpful. But on the other hand, I was still working on it like half an hour before I started talking. So that's the way I roll, dudes. Okay. That's just the way I roll. The other thing that I think I wanted to, to, to touch on this week is, uh, my Saturday morning meeting where it was the first Saturday of the month. So we're, we're in the blueprint for progress and we're in this section on, I think it's titled character traits. It's one of the last chapters in the book. And there's, there's, I don't know, like 30 separate dichotomized character traits listed with three questions for each one. And the one that we were on yesterday was something like, helpful to others versus selfish or generous to others versus selfish. Everybody around the table had something to say about that because this is like one of our, one of our codependent characteristics of being maybe sometimes overly helpful and not selfish enough. And I shared kind of early around the table because I had something I could say and people were not saying anything. So there's that silence pressure thing happening. Sure oh, I love the silence. <laughs> the silence is awesome. Yeah. Thinking time. Thinking time. Words hanging in the air so you can use them. Yeah. The other reason I like to share early is then I stop thinking about what I should say <laughs> because I've said it and I can't say anything more. Um, well, mostly. I, I Mostly I stopped thinking about it. What came out for me as other people were sharing was, I think it's not just like generous selfish for us because there's healthy selfishness that we learn in the program about taking care of ourselves, about setting boundaries, about not taking on more than we can handle. Uh, and there's, there's the overly generous side of us, the helping side, the, Oh, I can do that for you side that I have part of my nature, uh, part of my codependency. Oh, I can help you with that. You know, um, that it's more than just like two ends of a spectrum because some selfishness is healthy and some generosity is unhealthy for me. Um, and some other people kind of brought that out. And that's, that's the other thing that happens to me in a meeting is like, Oh God, I should have said, and then somebody else says it. And then I have this, Oh man, now they're getting credit for that great. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Been there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, it was a good meeting. It really was. I think that's about what I've got to say for this week. Um, we have, um, a number of, of upcoming topics and the one that is, is 
close to mind right now because a couple people have volunteered for it and I'm reaching out to a couple of people is recovery and divorce. I don't have that experience. Uh, so I'm really reaching out to you. If you've got experience, if you chose to separate from your loved one, or if you're thinking about separating, uh, we'd love to hear your experience, strength and hope. Please join our conversation. Uh, you can leave a voicemail or send an email and grace. How can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of intimacy or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And Tom, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Our website, therecoveryshow.com, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, videos for the music we talk about, and links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. If you'd, if you'd really like to to join the conversation, literally, consider being a guest host by phone, Skype, or FaceTime. Email feedback at com if you're interested. Yeah, and we also have a page at com slash contact where you can find all this information about contacting us, including some more details about being a guest host. Check it out. If you, if you only want to remember one thing, you don't want to remember phone numbers and all that, uh, just therecoveryshow.com slash contact or contact from the menu at the top of the page. We will take a short break before we look at the mailbag. And the second musical selection also available on the website is Things We Ought to Say by Jam Yang. And I discovered this song today uh, in a playlist about, I think, I don't remember if the, the playlist was titled Intimacy or uh, Songs for People Who Are Having Problems with Intimacy. It was something like that. Uh, but uh, I thought the uh, the lyrics here really illustrate uh, how I can be afraid of intimacy and how that fear can affect me. And here's some of those lyrics. Because we've been rolling and twisting over and over, and we're tearing, it's under the things we ought to say. And I've been cooling and risking all the tears. I know they were fears of the things that we ought to say. Got some uh, email this week. Claire writes, Greetings from Taos, New Mexico. I've been an avid listener for over a year. Thank you so much for this production quality and adherence to the, to the traditions of the program. I'm listening and learning. I live in a rural area, and there are a few meetings. Nothing beats the real thing, but I consider your show like a meeting or getting a dose of good recovery. This episode particularly spoke to me. This uh, She's talking about one of the family episodes. This episode particularly spoke to me. I have to reach out and say, yes, Mara's story is similar to my own. I'm in therapy nearly three years in recovery and coming into the realization that my mother's rage, guilt trips, immaturity, and violation of boundaries are indicative of someone with borderline personality disorder. Similar to Mara, my maternal grandfather was an alcoholic and my mother is a classic adult child of an alcoholic. Here's a great, non-conference approved, but a seminal read, Adult Children of Alcoholics by Janet Wojtitz. 
This book helped me out a lot. It sped up my recovery. It's a must read for anyone who is in recovery, in my opinion. Another book is the big book for ACA called Adult Children of Alcoholics, Dysfunctional Families. This is conference approved. It speaks for any dysfunction, mental health, codependency, cancer, alcoholism, or eating disorder. Thank you, Spencer. Shout out to Mara. I would love for you to explore family dynamics more and how it relates to codependency. Al-Anon supports this level of deep work. Thoughtful conversations. Thank you. And thank you, Claire. And I will put links to both of those books uh, into the show notes. And if they're not already on the books page at therecoveryshow.com, I will also put them there. Tom, could you read the uh, email from Anonymous? Anonymous writes, Hi, Spencer. I was listening to one of your recent shows where someone wrote in a letter about sponsorship. This listener offered her notes on the subject from a talk she was giving if you were to do a show on the topic. I'm very much interested in hearing a show on the subject of sponsorship. I will go back also to episode 25 on that subject and listen to that as well. Questions I'd like to hear discussed. One, is a sponsor's job to advise before being asked by the sponsee? Two, do you think sponsors can fall back into a role of codependent fixer as that's how we all got started on this? Three, is it wise to take a break and your sponsor-sponsee relationship or have both parties determine boundaries if there are feelings or feelings are hurt uh, or actual arguments? I feel sponsorship is a very valuable component of the Al-Anon program, but can be very tricky. Sponsors are just people, and so are their sponsees. Thanks, Anonymous. Any thoughts on Anonymous's questions? These are uh, really good questions. As I was um, reading them earlier, um, one really jumped out at, at me, and that is, do you think sponsors can fall back into a role of codependent fixer? Is that's how we all got started on this? <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, that there there obviously is a danger of of that happening, but um, somebody that has uh, experience in the program and has some program under their belt um, should have the perspective of knowing when that boundary is being crossed. Love that word. Should <laughs> don't should all over yourself. Yeah, but no, you're right. I'm going to give my quick answers here, and uh, uh, I am. Uh, planning a, a episode on sponsorship. In fact, uh, should have asked for uh, your contributions to that episode uh, in when we were earlier talking about upcoming topics. Because um, if you go to the previous episode, we have a couple of shares and then an open invitation to to share uh, your thoughts on sponsorship. And so, uh, if if you're going to call and and leave a voicemail or email. Um, I invite you to, to consider these questions along with uh, whatever else you might think about sponsorship. But my quick answer is, um, is it a sponsor's job to advise before being asked by the sponsee? I would say pr- mostly no. Now, that depends what you mean by asked, but um, we'll go into more detail in the episode. Uh, but uh, if something comes up and it's not exactly a question, I might give my opinion mm, or I might not. Uh, sponsors definitely need to watch out for falling back into a codependent fixer role. I am totally in agreement with, with that question, um, being a, a potential danger. The third question, um, you know, we hope that we're all adults and we can work things out, um, determining boundaries and so on. But, you know, we are also people, as you said, we're, we're people and sometimes things happen. 
So I don't know. Those weren't really answers. Do you get any thoughts, uh, Grace? I think if if you're considering taking a break with your sponsor or you're considering ending your sponsor sponsee relationship, or if you think there are boundaries that are crossed or feelings hurt or actual arguments, for me, I would maybe rethink if that's the right sponsor for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a good a good point. We got a voicemail from Akila. Hey, Spencer, it's Akila. I was calling to thank Mara and Tom for sharing their stories and to you to tell you how much I love the family episodes. I thought they were great. I also wanted this kind of goes a little bit with the We Program episode as well, but that whole idea of who is we. And I remember before I got in the program, it was very hard for me to connect with people if I didn't have a um, direct experience. So, for example, I might have listened Tamara and Tom and said, oh, yeah, well, Tom's experience is more like mine. So when Mara shares, I don't know. But now I can hear how even though our upbringing was very different, there were so many similarities. And those similarities, that shared thing where I nod when somebody shares something, even when I think their experience is different from mine, as to the weediness of the program. So, anyway, I just wanted to thank you for that. Thank both of them for sharing and to tell you that I would be willing and available to share about my family if you ever wanted to have that conversation. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks, Akila. Um and, uh, you know, you make an offer, I'm going to take you up on it. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I, I, I've been getting some really good feedback about the family episodes and, and you know, lots of, many voices uh, make for uh, better sharing somehow, yes. Grace, could you read the note from Amanda? Yes. Amanda writes, Spencer, I want to thank you and your co-hosts for becoming a vital part of my day. You have become my priority, my source of self-care, and a serene start to my day. My husband has struggled with drug addiction and mental illness for at least half of our marriage and my daughter's life and potentially most of his life. We have been together for 11 years, but I now know that most of his life he has struggled with drugs, mental illness, and alcohol. Ironically, when he stopped drinking years ago and a doctor prescribed medication, he began using again. He has been through numerous rehab situations and is using more than ever. He comes and goes. I've been familiar with Al-Anon for quite a while. It really helped to hear Jen in episode 70 mention that face-to-face meetings are a struggle. I have a nine-year-old daughter. It is hard to get to them and to take care of good care of her. While I get better each day at adopting the elements of the program, I still struggle with the way it weighs on my daughter. Your stories help a great deal. I would really appreciate a list of the episodes that deal with the topic of sting and the challenges of raising children. Also wondering about sponsor opportunities. While I have listened to podcasts, read a great deal, and tried to go to meetings over the past five years, I have never tried to work through the steps. Is anyone from the program open to sponsoring someone over the phone or online? I'm all the way in California. With gratitude, Amanda. And thanks, Amanda. And I do have um, some potential uh, episodes uh, for you. I noticed that uh, one of those that I listed was episode 70, which was living with alcoholism or addiction. And I noticed that you actually mentioned that in your in your letter. So there's the Stay or Go episode, which was episode 78. Um, and I think I've actually, I had a follow-on to that, I think, with Julie 
more recently. I don't remember the episode number off the top of my head. You know, I realize I don't have episodes that that really deal well directly with this question of of supporting children. Uh, another one that might be helpful is Family of Our Dreams, which is episode 54. And um, also uh, an earlier one, Parents Roundtable, which was episode 22. That was more parents whose children are alcoholic or addicts, but there may be some some support in there for, uh, uh, for you. Uh, so it sounds like, hey, good topic, and maybe we should try to... Um, try to schedule one or two yeah any any thoughts grace or tom recently in our area a new alateen group started so that now makes a whopping two groups um it's a little underserved in our area but um one of the people from my one of my home groups decided to step up and become the district alateen coordinator there's been kind of some momentum building in this in this area of uh alateen and and we we really i think as alanons and people in aa too we really need to um take care that our children um have the opportunity to get to alateen um and if they're younger i heard there's alatots but that might even be harder to find i I think it's definitely a a worthy cause and and something we need to talk about more yeah, and Amanda's daughter is um, nine, so that little under the usual age for Alateen, I think. Well, they're taking them in our new meeting from nine to I think 20. it depends on the meeting. Yeah. Um, when I was early in the Al-Anon program, I was out of town. I wanted to go to an Al-Anon meeting, and there was supposed to be an Alateen meeting at the same place and time as the Al-Anon meeting, so I took my kids who were, tw- I think, 12 at the time, and... When the Alateen um, person uh, sponsor, I guess they call it person who runs Alateen meeting sponsor, mm-hmm. came in, I said, "He here's my kids. Uh, they, you know, I'd like for them to to attend the Alateen meeting." And she said, "Well, most of the kids in this meeting are somewhat older than them, and I don't think they'd be comfortable." I was like, "Well, shit." <laughs> <laughs> Welcoming. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they sat out in the hall and played on their Game Boys while I did my Alanon meeting. It, you know, it was it was not the welcoming thing that I had. I had hoped for, but that is, that is certainly a possibility. If it's, if it's possible for you, I notice, um, you know, you do talk about, um, having trouble to get to meetings and take care of your daughter at the same time. You know, maybe, maybe you could encourage some people to get together and start a, an Alteen meeting that, that she could start going to, and then you could both go to a meeting. Yeah. Or maybe find meetings that have childcare. There are those in there our are area. A few, yeah. Or uh, start a new meeting, like you said. Yeah. And actually, I have been to meetings where people have brought their children, usually with something to keep the kid busy, maybe you know, an electronic device with headphones or a coloring book or something. And it really depends on the kid, how well the kid can sit quietly for an hour. Definitely have seen that work well in some cases and not at all in other cases. So it really depends on situation and on also the acceptance of the group. Yeah. Whether, whether that's something you could do. Tom, can you uh, do the little blurb? It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, 
but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly. We we have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link on the top of the page in order... If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and keeps and helps us to keep on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's recommending the show to your friends, directing them to the, the recoveryshow.com, and including just listening to us. We are here for you. And the last uh, song selection is Eric's song by Vienna Tang, which you can listen to at therecoveryshow.com slash 141. In this beautiful song, uh, she expresses the joy, as I see it, she expresses the joy of true intimacy with another person. Here's some lyrics. Strange how you know inside me. I measure the time and I stand amazed. Strange how I know inside you. My hand is outstretched toward the damp of the haze, and then later, strange how I fit into you. There's a distance erased with the greatest of ease. Strange how you fit into me, a gentle warmth filling the deepest of needs. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.